Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Amen. Last week I shared that in November, God really began to just talk to me about the fear of the Lord. And uh, about the church in particular, you know, our church. So if you're visiting, you know, this is kind of like a, a home family service that I'm doing here. In other words, I'm talking to the family. So forgive me if you're visitors, just keep smiling and say you love me anyhow. But um, as I began to study and look into the things about just the fear of the Lord, we all know this, like Proverbs 1, the begin. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It just say the beginning. It's the beginning. The fear of the Lord, you know, it means, of course, fear doesn't mean to be afraid of like we think it does. It means to, to have respect, to reverence, to have respect for the things of God. And uh, like I said, as I began to study and read articles and look at stuff, it was amazing to me. I mean, I could literally, I probably have, or like, there's at least 200 some scriptures that deal with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, this, the fear of the Lord, but what the fear of the Lord produces in your life. And then in the midst of most of the articles I read, they talked about how in the modern church today that there's so little of the old-fashioned fear of the Lord. There's very little fear of God. Very little reverence for the things of God. That it's seen in the commonality of things. One of the ways they made comment that I thought was good. They said, in this age, everything seems to have been brought to a place of commonality. Everything's common. What I mean by that is like, you know, I have a job that's common. I go to church. I enjoy football. I go to a football game once in a while. That's just what we do. You know, we we enjoy sports. I I like music. Sometimes I go to a concert or go to a show and go to a show in the West End. And also, by the way, every once in a while or on Sundays, I go to church, you know, and it's just all part of what my common life is about. But the thing is, in that thinking is, again, why we have to check ourselves at the door real quick is because there's nothing common about God. You really have to catch this. You cannot, God will not be put on some level of commonality with a football game or with a special TV program or even a worship service. God is almighty. I was yesterday uh, in the morning before the men's ministry poisoned me last night when I was feeling okay. I was thinking about, I had the scripture came to mind about how he that dwelleth in unapproachable light. He that dwells in unapproachable light. And I, I closed my eyes and I began to see some of the artwork that I've seen over my years about like this throne, you know, like the throne of God with this blinding, blinding, blinding light where you can't see the figure of him who sits on the throne. But this blinding all-consuming fire that is the presence of God. And, you know, the four and twenty elders having cast their crowns down and all this wonderful picture that we read about in the Bible, read in Revelations, what have you. And I thought to myself, you know, really, how... I mean, if we really are saved, you know, we're going to experience that, aren't we? Really. We are, at least that's what I... I'm going to experience it. don't know about the rest of you, but I'm going to heaven. I've made my call. But, I mean, you know, I just think about... Standing, literally, not symbolically, but having that kind of an experience where you're in a place where the light 
is so cosmic, I don't know what word to use, so overwhelmingly, incredibly, phenomenally bright beyond any capacity to compute that, you know, you just, you're going to be blinded by it. And the sense of, like it says, it says the, you know, the, the, the power that's emanating from his hands and his body and his life and his lightning bolts coming off of him and all that stuff. You know, you just think about how you're going to feel. <laughs> what you're gonna, why, what's it going to be like? And the thing is, church, I, I'm, anybody that knows me knows I'm not religious. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't want us to become suddenly religious and shift back 500 years where everybody has to wear a collar so tight that they can't talk, you know. You know what I mean. But the fact of the matter is we've lost our respect for the things of God. And one of the things I mentioned last week, and again, like they say, you know, there's nothing, anybody that knows me knows there's nothing in me that wants to condemn anybody. But like I said, I read a verse last week. Let me just read a couple of verses again about the responsibility of we who are ministers, okay? I'm going to repeat some stuff from last time. Um. In 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verses 8 through 10, it says, Also in Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat set certain Levites, priests, heads of families of Israel, to give judgment for the Lord and decide controversies. When they of the commission returned to Jerusalem, the king charged them, Do this in the fear of the Lord, faithfully. Like I said, as you're reading verses, you just see yeah, all through Scripture, just all these verses, do this in the fear of the Lord. And we just read by it, Meh, do this in the fear of the Lord. But it says the things are to be done in the fear of the Lord. And it meant something. It didn't mean, it means you don't approach the things of God casually. And while we, it's okay to have casual dress, to say the least. I was reading one article that was really old-fashioned. It was talking about the dress code in the church of God. And how if you, if men don't have ties on, if men don't have a jacket on, if men don't have this, that, and the other, basically they're demeaning everything about God and you're going to go to hell because you don't wear a jacket and a tie. I don't really believe that. But <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, but nevertheless, they're just saying there's this something. But anyhow, let me get back to this. King charged them, do this in the fear of the Lord faithfully with integrity and a blameless heart. Verse 10, 2 Chronicles 19, verse 10. Whenever any controversy shall come to you, this is to the Levites, the priesthood, pastors. Whenever any controversy shall come to you from your brethren who dwell in their cities, between blood and blood, or between law and commandment, or statutes and judgments, you shall warn and instruct them that they may not be guilty before the Lord. But then it says this, and this is where you, when you're a minister, you kind of don't like reading this part. It says, otherwise wrath will come upon you. In other words, I was sharing with some of the guys last night. It's when you, and I've mentioned it here before, and I don't, I don't mention it to try to sound clever or melodramatic, but it is an incredible responsibility to stand before people in behalf of God. It really is. Because some people out there will believe anything somebody says when they stand up here. And this is why, you know, there's so many false churches and false doctrines and falses. Uh, there are many people that have dynamic speaking gifts but wouldn't know God if they brought him in under the drugs. You know, they wouldn't know God if they brought him in in a God suit. They wouldn't know God. But nevertheless, as a preacher, it says your responsibility is to warn and instruct people that they may not be guilty before the Lord. Otherwise, wrath will come upon you and your brethren. Do this and you'll not be guilty. And then, of course, in the pastoral epistles, Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Again, all these are from the Amplified Bible. But this one, is, this is fun. 
This is really fun if you're a preacher. I charge you in the presence of God. I mean, think about the strength of even this Paul saying, this is not, I'm not just, eh, it's not a request. He said, I charge you. This is serious business. I charge you in the presence of God. It's a big deal. It's not some lightweight statement. I charge you in the very presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by in the light of his coming in his kingdom, herald and preach the word. Amen? Preach this word, not your opinion. Keep your sense of urgency. That sense of urgency. That's something you have to practice. Because I guarantee in this world, you will be diluted down to a place of where, again, everything about life is just kicked back. Convenience, that's another place I'll go later. I mean, you know, well, <laughs> just say convenient later so it'll remind me of something. Herald and preach the word, keep your sense of urgency, stand by, be at hand and ready. And again, this is Paul teaching pastoral epistles, teaching Timothy as, the, as a pastor of these churches. He said, whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable, preach the word. Whether it's convenient, inconvenient, whether it's welcome or unwelcome, you as a preacher of the word are to show people in what way their lives are wrong. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful task to be given? Hallelujah. So, you know, I was thinking about it today and I got to thinking about Jeff Simpson. And I got to thinking, I don't know if you can hear me, he's probably out there hiding behind the door, but I can use Sid for that matter. Actually, I can use, I can use Des. Des is the what? But you know, I was thinking about the things that I know about Des's life, and I've got 35 of them listed here. And it's my job, I was going to call him up, and I'm going to show everybody, show Des the things that are wrong in his life, right? Do you like me to do that? Bummer. Where's the fun in that? <laughs> No, but listen to it, though. It, but literally, see, this is why, how do I say this other than just say it? Is you, if you attend a church, if you're serious about the things of God, and again, this is not condemnation, it's just getting real. Like I said last week again about, we have to ask ourselves hard questions. Do we really believe and I, you know, and I ask you again, I'll ask you every Sunday for as long as I teach that, I don't care. Do we really, really believe that the presence of God is the answer to basically anything that will ever happen to us? In God's presence, there's fullness of joy and at his right hand, there's pleasure for more. But in God's presence, everything gets solved if you'll allow it to do what it wants to do. But you have to ask yourself, then again, you have to be honest students of Scripture and be honest with yourself about the things that grieve the Spirit of God or the things that basically foul the waterways. You know, uh, years ago, Francis Frangipane used to teach about like this huge, huge, gigantic like pipe, but a pipe about five meters wide flowing from heaven with all the graces, the blessings, and the promises of God. But how by the time it gets down here, the Bible speaks about how strife and how ill will and bitterness cause roots to spring up and defile the many. And he talked about how our attitude towards God begins to create blockages in this causeway, this massive 
pipe that God's trying to get his blessings to us through to the point that by the time it gets down here, you know, it's like a drip, drip. You know, we're getting a drip or two here, and every time a drip falls on some nation, we celebrate for four years. And we don't understand that God is so much bigger than that trip that he's altogether glorious, altogether marvelous, altogether powerful. He is almighty. There is nothing bigger. And like I said again, there's nothing common about God. He wants to explode into people's lives. He wants the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to be the manifest presence of his glory. He does. That's absolutely the truth. So Rod hasn't been experiencing that here. So it starts with me. So God begins to, like I said, correct me, encourage me, like it goes on to say here. But I'm just saying, so this is why we're all in this together. So Rod's not standing up here trying to accuse anybody. It's just that if I, I would probably, I would die much earlier than I'm supposed to if I thought that we would just be in one of these other, just another fellowship that just goes from Sunday to Sunday. And we just do our thing. I... Can I put it this way? I didn't sign up for that. God, you know, radically delivered me from drug addiction and from penitentiary and violence and stuff. And I have a very real salvation experience. And everything's relative. You have your own salvation experience. But I know, like you've heard me say before, only Rod really knows what Rod's been delivered from. Only Rod. But Rod knows, believe me. Rod knows. Bobby knows. You hear her this credible testimony she gives when she shares about her own. She knows, and so she's passionate about purity. And, and I'm just saying, so this, anyhow, this, but nevertheless, it says, as a preacher, so what I was going to say is, if you don't, if you don't come to a church where you trust your pastor, then you may as well split. When it's all said and done, that's the risk that we all take. But for God, this is why, but with humility, I don't know how else to say it, and you can take it for what it will. See, I know the difference between being educated and becoming qualified to teach because I've been educated. I know the difference between that and having been set in a place by God. And with all humility, I was never educated as a minister. God, by grace, sat me in the body as a teacher. And, I mean, no, so you see, the thing about that I kind of I feel humbled about is, you see, you can't fire me. <laughs> because you didn't hire me. And when you find out that you actually have a call on your life, and much more than that, I, because even... Let me tell you, many are called, but few are chosen. Everybody in here has a calling on their life. I said, everybody in here has a call. I used to have people, when I headed up the Bible school all the time, come up to me and say, Brother Ron, I've got a calling in my life to do this. I've got a calling in my life to do that. And I'd sit back, and they were really disappointed because they thought I was going to go, wow, that's incredible. You know, man, you've got a calling in your life. And I just look at them and say, well, so what? <laughs> they go, look at each other. I said, honestly, you know, when you've been around long enough, and like I said, the people, the grace of God in my life to put me under the man of God that he put me under, you know, it was simply miraculous. Seriously, this is why I say over and over again when I meet her, it's not me trying to hype myself. I can't help who God's put me under. 
You know, I can't help the fact that God had me set under some of his finest contemporary mouths in the earth today. He somehow, some way by, he loved me enough that he placed me under these people that were just had incredible moves of God in their lives. But you see, many are called, but only few are chosen. And the fear of the Lord is what determines whether you ever move from just well, having a calling to preach, to speak, maybe. Maybe you're able to communicate. That doesn't mean you're called to preach. There's all kinds of people that know how to speak. And so many people think that because they know how to speak, that must mean they're supposed to be a preacher. That's why we have all kinds of very weak churches in the earth. Because we have people that have been placed in a position by man as opposed to set in an office by God. So do you hear me? And it's, but again, if you're any good at this, by that I mean in your own relationship with God, like I said, the sobriety of that responsibility is something you wake up with every single morning of your life. At least you better. You better. Because anybody can get lifted up in pride. Anybody can, like they say, the three G's, remember they're going to tell you the gold, the gals, and the glory. The three things that will kill ministries everywhere. I mean, the gold, they get hungry for the money. The women, they go after the gals. They get weak around chicks. Sorry, not chicks. My wife does not like it when I say chicks. <laughs> around ladies, you know what I mean? They, they don't know how to handle themselves around women. Or the glory. They want the attention and they want the, the laudations of man. They want to be recognized as being something. I want a position and I want a title. And if you don't call me the Lord Archdeacon... Archbishop of Lambeth, I shall simply not pray for you. Oh, I can't help it. But anyhow, you as a preacher of the word ought to show people in what way their lives are wrong. You're to convince, to rebuke, to correct, to warn, to urge, to encourage. And you need to be unflagging boy. You ever do find that yourself in ministry, you will sure learn this one. You need to become unflagging and inexhaustible in patience. You that are serving the Lord, you need to, it says you have to be patient, instructing those, I, this verse in Timothy, instructing those who oppose themselves that peradventure they will acknowledge the truth and recover themselves from the snare of the devil who takes them captive at his will. Any real preacher's job is to simply hold forth the truth. I can't make anybody take the truth. You've heard the old maxim, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So I say all that to say it's time for us to really look at this thing about reverence for God and fear of the Lord. If we want to be more than just a Sunday go-to-meeting group of people that like each other. You know, I, I, love the, I love the testimony that this church has. I really do. I know that, you know, like you've heard me say it many times, and it's one of my deepest frustrations, the fact that I know where I have strength and I know where I have weakness. And like we've said before, you know, not having a building... We do have these cell groups, and we need people to be, like Bobby just said, we need people to be more diligent about it. You know, quit complaining about not having community. We're doing our best with what we have. But I tell you what, what we do have, I, I just get mad if you want to. What we do have is pretty flipping good. 
We have one of the strongest senses of family in this church of any place I've ever been. And anybody that's ever come and visited said they were just overwhelmed by the absolute sense of family that was there and the love that they legitimately sensed between the people and what have you. And, of course, in our worship. Our worship is something that God's really blessed us with, with incredible, creative people like this, say, what have you. But whatever it is, these little things, these little foxes, you know, Song of Solomon 2.15, again, is where it says, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. There's, there's little things that we have to begin to look at and deal with. And like I said last week, I already stepped on some toes, but I don't really care. Last night, the guys told me, they said, well, don't be afraid of what people think. And I said, brother, I said, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to say it nicely. I really don't care what people think. I have a greater response. And I do. And see, it, sound, it can sound like you're just trying to be a hot shot. But if you, the fear of man will kill you. And the thing, like I said, about being called, not just put in position by a man, my calling is on me, my calling on my life when it's all said and done, it isn't geographical. In other words, if you guys kick me out of here, I'll still preach. I'll just preach somewhere else because that's who I am. I'll preach for the rest of my life. I'll just find somebody else that wants to know the Bible. And see, that sounds pompous, but I'm not trying to be pompous. I'm trying to say we need to give God glory for what we do have. You never will have more if you don't give God glory for what you do have. And see, somehow this has got to get into our spirit afresh. Because the people that have left the church, and when I have some of them, you know, that I've, I've talked to several times, a couple of them, it's really, really hurt me. It always hurts to a degree, but a couple of them, it's really hurt me because they didn't leave to go to another church. They just got bored with God. And I, and I remember this, what this one girl said that I just loved. And I said, sweetie, how can you get bored with God? But again, it's because somehow, some way, some people never really have that personal switch flip that visitation where and 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 again how many times you heard me say this i don't want people converted to church we want people converted to christ there's all the difference in the world between being a church follower and a christ follower i can't force you to be a christ follower but what i try to do is show you christ's word christ's truth and say this is what will save your life this is what will save your life I mentioned convenience earlier. And so last week I mentioned about just being on time, and I talked about how the worship team, they do their best to prepare, and how so many times I'd sit there on that front row, and, you know, at 11 o'clock would come, and the worship team would get up here, and like I said, there'd be seven people sitting there. And uh, Ayana or Angela or Lucy, whosoever. And I, I think to myself, what does it really feel like? The whole worship team's up here. Mike's on his guitar, Nate's on his guitar, guy's on drums, you know, Mike Powell's ever faithful, got... He's there. He's watched it all his life, you know. And you get up here, and there's like seven people here. And like I said, everybody's out there talking, chatting, doing whatever they're doing. And see, that's not reverence for the things of God. There is an element that has to come back into our spirit about the church of the Most High God. All I know is this. Once you do get enough people on the same page... And let me just quote this verse again that I started last week. And I heard Reinhard Bonnke just share, like I said last week, I just happened to turn the television on. And that Isaiah 40, verse 3 through 5, you all know the verse, but it's, it hit me so different where, it's, where he says, Isaiah the prophet says, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Remember? But 
think of, just stop. Stop. You have to prepare. You and I have to prepare a place, a way for the Lord to come. It's not just some nondescript, oh, well, I hope something happens this Sunday. No, 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 no. And it's not just, well, I hope the pastor did his praying this week. You know what I mean? I hope Bobby did her, did her dance 15 times and whatever she do. I don't know. Never mind. We won't go there. Or the worship team. I hope the worship team really hits it this week. But see, this is just it. It's, you're the church. It's, Rod's not the church. And I know you know that, but you don't know that. Otherwise, we'd be different. But it says, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Do you have it up there? Yeah. Prepare. Oh, well, it's different than that. But anyway, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, think about that. He says, it's up to you and I to make a road for him to drive in and meet us with. It has to be something in us. Are you listening to me? You and I are the ones that make the difference. Uh, like I said, do we really want the presence of God? Do, do we really actually seriously, do we, do we mean this stuff? Or are we just talking to sound holy? Uh, Rod has to ask himself questions all the time. Particularly, like I said, since no, we're just where, Rod, where, where are some ways I can more reverence you, Father. What And it's like I said, it's little things. Where can I reverence you? And even like maybe Bobby sharing the testimony about the lady on premiere. It's like I've learned over the years, you know, when I teach on the Holy Spirit, when I teach on being led of the Spirit of God, I love to go through the, how many scriptures there are where it speaks about how Paul, it says Paul being prompted by the Spirit. It's a, And it speaks, the word literally speaks of like being poked, just you're being prompted. He was prompted by the Spirit of God. He turned away from here and went to there. Oh, and then the verses in Romans, it says, yield. Over and over again, it says, you have to learn to yield your members as servants to righteousness. And so I begin to think, well, Father, where can I then? You see, the thing is this. Every individual in this room... We don't have to talk about the big deals. It's the, it's, you start with the little stuff you already know you need to fix. It's just that simple. You don't need a prophet of God to fly down right now and appear through the ceiling. <laughs> Lightning bolts everywhere and say, Thus saith the Lord unto you. Change the color of your scarf. And all shall be better, Eric Clotty. Yes, I'm looking at you, Eric. I know that's a word for you, Venerable. Everybody in here already knows little foxes. We already know little stuff, but it's sometimes it's so little we go, yeah, it's no big deal. But you see, it's the attitude that is the big deal. And the attitude is what squeezes the door shut on God wanting to give as much of him as he wants to give. So I talked about being on time. And, and you know, and every church talks about better in Britain. You know, it's crazy. I mean, every church we've ever gone to, you know. It's the old, and we make jokes about the Nigerian churches, you know, that, you know, you get there by, you know, as long as you get to church, you know, if church starts at 1030, as long as you're there by 130, 
you're doing good. You know what I mean? Some of the churches I used to minister at all the time. I mean, I used to minister for Matthew Ashimolo all the time. And he, he would tell me the stories and he would laugh and we would talk about this stuff, you know, just the things that you have to deal with with certain cultures. But every culture has its strange little things that causes them to, I don't know. We, we like to talk about our strengths, but don't talk to me about my weakness. Let's keep that hidden. Right, Jonathan? Let's keep that, yes, let's keep that hidden. But all I know is this, at some point, you have to begin to deal with that area. But again, the issue is here, like I said, is about the overall desire for the presence of God. If so, we need to bring back some reverence for the house of God, okay? There's a lot of things I could share. But let me, I, I brought a, an overhead. I've just, there's a couple of statements just about church in general. This, these aren't mind-blowing statements, but if you could put that first one up, Elizabeth. Um, this is just something by a gentleman named Jacob Register, and he, he just talked about church beginning why buildings, and it simply said this, it would seem that at first Christians worshipped in any place which they could use with safety, but soon the Lord revealed himself to the world as the king of it, until in a few generations the earth was covered with his shrines and forests and human skill offered to him their best gifts. The custom of setting apart places and houses holy and dedicated to God's worship was ever a part of the faith of God's people. Thus it was said to Israel in the wilderness, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Of the building of the temple, Solomon says, behold, I purpose to build a house under the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spake unto David my father, saying, thy son whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build a house under my name. Our Lord confirms this practice as one of sound and true religion. He called the temple my father's house. And by cleansing it of buyers and sellers, showed that it was to be used for no other purpose than the worship of God. No other purpose than the worship of God. So Christians from the earliest days have had consecrated places in which they, in which they, excuse me, consecrated places which were held in reverence as distinct from the home. And again, what is referring to and what I'm trying to get us to see here is when we come to church, I'm sorry that we don't have Spurgeon's Tabernacle. I'm sorry that we don't have KT's church building. But really, I'm not sorry. But I'm saying that in case you need somebody to say sorry. <laughs> But what we do have is this. And like I said, you know, we have to get delivered from this thing. And like I said about even the coming on time stuff. And okay, I'm not, I don't want to harp on that. But, you know, the commonality issue comes back into play. This thing about, well, I mean, like, a, you know. And I've, I've heard people say, well, you know, it just I didn't go to church because it simply wasn't convenient for me to come that morning. And you see, and I'm not. Again, you know, you guys know me. I'm not Mr. Hard Rock, whatever dude, everything, you know, religion, 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 structure, structure, structure. But I think about what God must think when he hears somebody kind of yawn and say, it just wasn't convenient for me to go and pay homage to the most high God, the one who put the breath in my lungs. I I chose to just, well, I'll get up when I want to get up. It's no big deal. I'll get there 40 minutes late. That way I can miss some of the first worship because I don't like them anyhow. I like the songs towards the end of the worship service. 
Then I can leave early because I get tired of Rod because he goes so flipping long, drives me crazy. You know, whatever it is. And But I mean, but the thing is, it's convenient. Listen, you, you better, if you want the gifts of God, if you want the presence of God, if you want to actually see God move, I'm going to tell you, you study you study the walk of this man named Jesus Christ. You walk, you, fought, you study those four Gospels. And I want to tell you, Jesus loves to inconvenience people. Hallelujah. He loves to mess with your schedule. You know, years ago, people got on this thing about having a God slot in their schedule. Well, every single morning, 5 o'clock to 5.30 or 6 to 5, 6.30, that's my God slot where, hallelujah, I give my time to God in the morning. I understand what they meant, but I got a, you know, a real revelation for a lot of people. God don't want to be on your calendar. God doesn't want to have a slot. God wants all of you. But again, commonality. Well, no, I have one compartment of my life for my, my religious life. And I have another part for my career. And I have another part for my family. I mean, family's important. I mean, sure, you're not going to say that family's important. No, family's very important. But again, we compartmentalize God and we put him in the same arena. And you can't do that. Well, put us where you can and you do. A lot of people do. But that's why they don't see legitimate breakthrough. The legitimate breakthroughs that I've had in my life have come from when I bowed my head and I got very real with God. I had one, you know, I had an anger problem before I saved. But part of that anger, God redeemed. And he, he had to teach me how to stay aggressive, though, about the things of God. Otherwise, they'll just, eh, you'll say something and you'll never follow through. And there are sometimes, all I know is when I've really seen God move is when God got serious. Like I say, you know what? If you want more, you've got to do more. Heavy revelation, isn't it? If you want more, you have to do more. But this is it. Or do you just want to, let's go to church and we'll fellowship. I enjoy seeing some of the people and it's funny and I like the jokes and what have you. That's all cool. But we need the manifest presence of God to actually solve some of the horrific issues and problems that some of you have. Like they say, I can lay hands on you until I wear all the hair off your head. And you won't get a breakthrough. Let's read this next one. Now, this is way back in the day. Early reverence and coming to the house of the Lord. The Practice of Piety by Lewis Bailey. Number one, say with thyself. This is how they said that you should approach coming to the house of God. Now, like I said, this is a long time ago. But anyhow, listen, just try to catch a little bit about how people honored the things of God. Say with thyself, by the way, as the heart brayeth for the rivers of water, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, even for the living God. When shall I come and appear before the presence of God? For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And think about David actually saying this. I really would. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tabernacles of wickedness. 
Therefore, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercies, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Number two, as thou enterest into the church, say, quote, how fearful is this place? Now, see, you start laughing. But think about if what would happen if, if a lot of people had this attitude. How fearful is this place? This is none other but the house of God for me. See, this is my time where Rod, I, Rod meets with God. I, 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 without sounding again like I'm boasting, Rod does his utmost to be, meet with God every single day. Yes, Rod doesn't need a building for Rod to meet with God. Amen. Yes, I don't have to, oh, most I got, because I've received the spirit of adoption whereby my heart, my spirit now say, Daddy, I have a revelation of him as Papa, or Dad. But, it, but, but that doesn't mean I don't honor my parents. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean I don't respect his holiness. And I'm not talking about the Pope. It doesn't mean I don't respect him for who he is. But it, anyhow, let me keep reading. He said, surely the Lord is in this place. God is in this people indeed. And prostrating with thy face downward, being come to thy place, say, O Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thy honor dwelleth. One thing, therefore, have I desired of thee, that I will require, even that I may dwell in thy house all the days of my life, to behold thy beauty and to visit thy temple. Therefore will I offer in thy tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing and I will praise the Lord. Hearken unto my voice, O Lord, when I cry. Have mercy also upon me and hear me. Doubtless kindness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell forever in the house of the Lord. And he said, then this is that preparation or looking to our feet to which Solomon advised before we entered into the house of God. Now turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Hallelujah. Everybody say, I like Rod anyhow. I know. Turn to your neighbor and say, I live by faith. I know. Just having a little bit of respect. Like I said, it's just, you know, you see, when you think about it, like I was sharing with the guys, I think, and even last night I brought up, you know, I'm not, I'm not religious, man. I'm not trying to, I'm not going to beat anybody up if they don't make it to church. I'm not going to beat anybody up if they're late. But there's all the difference in this, in the world between having legitimate reasons and just having old fashioned excuses. You know, for, I'm just, I'm just saying, for the good of the many, we as individuals have to ask ourselves these questions. Do we really want the presence of God? Or is this, again, is it just a Sunday thing? It's just what I do on Sundays. I could go to the races, but, nah. I go to church now. <laughs> I could go to a car show with Matt. Hallelujah. Look at the all-new trucks. Watch him salivate over new trucks. No. <laughs> no, it's this. This is the one Day, though Rod tries to meet with God every day, but this is the one day 
when Rod has the opportunity to meet with God with people of like precious faith. This is that time that the writer of Hebrews spoke about it when he said, don't forsake the fellowshipping of yourself. Don't, don't do that. There's something that happens in the joint community of Christ in a church setting that doesn't happen when you're by yourself and vice versa. Amen. But you can't just see people. It's so horrible. Well, I, can, I meet with God in the forest by myself. I can dig that. I'm a mountain man. I love it. You know, that's where I grew up. Like I said, that's where I used to meet with God all the time. But it never took away from what happens when I'm in the house of God. There's just something different, you see. You don't exclude one for the sake of the other. Have them both, but don't. It's just why in those that year, you see, when these churches here in England, when they were like that, like I said, they didn't have videos or DVDs. Those, those stained glass windows that we look at, we don't think anything of them at all today. But that was the media of that, that era. They would see these incredible stories of the cross of Jesus Christ and his disciples and of the throne and of saints and the Last Supper. And, and people would come and they would have a sense of awe. Because then it, suddenly it was more than just verses. You remember through the whole Dark Ages, the reason it was Dark Ages is because the Bible wasn't in the hands of common men. Remember, Bibles were chained. They were literally chained. It would be a given Bible that was chained to like a, a, a fulcrum, this thing here. And, you know, only, you know, the monk or the, or the high priest, they were the only ones that were allowed to turn pages. And so you had to come in there. You didn't have the right. You didn't have the book on your own. And today, that's what I mean. We have no idea what a priceless privilege that is. I mean, my God. And other nations, the stuff they go through, to, you've heard the stories, these incredible tear-jerking missionary stories, but they're real stories where they'll pass one page of the Bible. They'll hold on to one page of the Bible for decades, being their only connection to God, and it's the thing that keeps them alive. Anyhow, hallelujah, I know you're enjoying this. It's so much fun. But this is the one time I get to come together on a Sunday. And like I said, you know what? We're only talking about four jive hours. A little longer for the, because of the people that come to set up and tear down. But think about it. We're, God's only, all he's saying is, listen, once a week, and especially in our case, once a week. Just once a week. It ain't that big of a deal. Just once a week. Do you think that you might be so disposed to show a little deference and a little reference, reverence to the fact that you've been redeemed by the Most High God, that Almighty God actually sent His Son, born of a woman, to die the most horrific death to redeem you so that you could have this privilege. I mean, you know, it isn't sour grapes, guys. It's... It's the truth. Sometimes when I'm in my own private prayer time, when I'm at home, um, and this is not trying to, oh, he's so holy. <laughs> no, but just like I kind of started this morning, I, I always start, I, I, I try my, I, I, I've learned to acknowledge the Godhead. I, I try to acknowledge the Father first. I, you know, God Almighty, you are El Shaddai. I mean, you're the creator. You're the everything, oh God. You're the beginning. <laughs> The Alpha and the Omega. 
And then I, I just think on him for a while, and then I shift to Jesus. You know, you're the Son of God, my Redeemer. My, you've redeemed me by your blood. I'm redeemed. It's by your sacrifice that I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. And I go through that for a while. And then I begin to just fellowship and commune with the Holy Spirit. And I try to go through the singing. But when I think, and I, I'm, I'm still that old-fashioned. But when I stop and I try to press, like I said, like an old man said to me many years ago, he said, you need to close your eyes so tight that you begin to see. And it's just that I begin to think and let this be real, this death of Jesus Christ on that cross. And, you know, every once in a while you pull out that old, what is that? What's the name of the film, the Mel Gibson film? You know, Passion. And I'll put that on again and just go, my God, you know, the stuff you went through. And I'll, I'm just, I can't help it. You know, I start to tear up. And I think about, the, you know, and he'll bring back little photo shots, little pictures of my, pre, my life before Christ. And I'll just, and how ugly and how ashamed I am to think that that was ever part of my lifestyle. And, and I begin, I begin to cry. I just begin to go, God, I'm so, 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 so grateful that I'm not that man anymore. And like to say, I'm sure not perfect yet, but I am so not that. Hallelujah. You have so redeemed me. And is that wrong to have those kind of feelings? But see, just I've been in a few churches where almost everybody was on the same page. See, I've actually, you know, I'm not theorizing here. I'm not speaking hypothetically. I've seen the moves of God that just were, you know, could not be defined by any of man's intellect. You know, I've seen the things of God when they rolled across the church because there was this unity of desire. This everybody was on the same page. They actually wanted God. Everybody didn't start there. But see, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to bring us some correction, but I'm trying to bring us some encouragement. This is available for whosoever will. All of God's grace is available. But when we consistently live beneath what God said is available, something's wrong somewhere. So with Rod, Rod has to start with me. I don't start pointing fingers at Emmanuel. Emmanuel's not my judge. And how Emmanuel lives, you know, no, it's Rod has to make amends for Rod. But as a pastor, like I said in the beginning, Rod has to begin to share with you. Guys, we can be so much better. We're really good. But we're far from being great yet. But we can be great. We really can. We can be great. Everybody in here can have supernatural experiences. I, one little silly one that I've never forgotten. I remember being in our church back in my hometown of Bakersfield. And do you remember Ed Dufresne all those years ago? Do you remember who Ed Dufresne was? Came up under Brother Hagen and what have you like that. But anyhow, he really had these moves. He'd move in the spirit in some astounding ways. But he... He was standing up there, and I was standing to the side. It was because, you know, I was part of the staff. We were over here. Like I said, it was a church about, it was 2,300 when I left. I guess about 2,000 this one time. 
but we're all standing up here, and a couple of guys have mics because they're sharing about a couple of things. And suddenly, the friend, he goes, wait, 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 wait. And, you know, you'd have to understand, this was a church building. You know, all the doors are shut. It's a big sanctuary, and everything's shut. But just basically, the wind of God came. And uh, <laughs> he said, here comes the wind of God. Put your hands up. And, you know, I mean, I'm not just telling the story. I'm telling you the truth. We're sitting there, and the guys with the mics, and you could hear it, and it's on tape. You can hear this. Just goes around the room. And this, this buzz like electricity. Have you ever been around a high, high voltage line? This. And everybody, everybody in the place was. <laughs> nobody wanted to move at all. This stuff would go by. And I mean, people then just started to scream and yell and. You know, incredible healings, you know, you know, for real, you know, I'm watching tumors fall off these people on these front two rows. And, and uh, that's just me being young Rod, you know, barely understanding. I don't know what all this stuff is about. I'm just here teaching on the love walk and leading in prayer. But I'm just saying, you know, God's the same yesterday, today and forever. I wouldn't mind at all. I don't care how he manifested. I really, you know, in my opinion, Holy Ghost, you have full permission to manifest in any way you want to. But, you know, that's just, that's another thing. You've got to give him permission. You've heard me say many times, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He won't force himself on any church. He has to be made welcome. Prepare ye a way for the Lord. Make the rough places straight. Make a highway for a God to come in on. Ephesians, uh, excuse me, Ecclesiastes 5, and I'm going to finish. I'm going to read this and some of the last. This is what this last writer spoke of when he said what Solomon was giving. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. Don't have to get angry. Ayana always has to cause, you know, just, I love her, but listen to this. Listen to what this says. Look at it. Keep your foot. Everybody say, keep your foot. Give your mind to what you're doing. It says in the Amplified, when you go as Jacob to sacred Bethel, to the house of God. But King James reads this way. Keep your foot. Give your mind to what you're doing when you go to the house of God. For to draw near to hear and obey is better than to give the sacrifice of fools Carelessly, irreverently, too ignorant to know that they are doing evil. There are many people that are ignorant. Now, remember, there's a great difference between ignorance and stupidity. Stupidity just means somebody's dumb. But ignorance means you don't have all the information. You don't have all the facts. And some people are ignorant about the fact that what I'm doing right now is actually falling very short of what God would have me to be. How I should live. How I should speak to people. How I should reverence the things of God or whatever. We don't know. But that's where today in the New Covenant, the grace comes in. But anyhow, listen to what he says. Anyhow. Verse 2, he says, this is all the same thing about coming to them. Be not rash with your mouth, and let not your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you're on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Now, boy, there's a whole lot of preaching and teaching on that verse right there. 
we can go in a whole lot of directions with that one. But think about what he's saying. He said, think about this, guys. He said, God's in heaven, and you're here. And God does judge us and hold us accountable for our words. I didn't say that. You all know that, right? That's actually something Jesus said. You'll be held accountable for every idle, inoperative, non-working word that you speak. (laughs) Isn't that a wonderful verse? Doesn't that make you just want to go out and join some other group real quickly? (laughs) But he says, this is why I said, when you come to the house of God, don't be rash with your mouth. Let not your heart be hasty to utter word before God, for God is in heaven and you're on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Let me just read the next few verses. Just so you see it in context. Verse 3, for a dream comes with much business and painful effort. And a fool's voice with many words. Verse 4, when you vow a vow or make a pledge to God, don't put it off. Don't put off paying it. Because God has no pleasure in fools. Those who witlessly mock him, pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. And this is speaking about Solomon, the wisest man, are saying it's not, it's not a light thing for you to make some gigantic, patriotic, holy-sounding statement and vow about what you're going to do, and then you never follow through. It's no big deal. God actually holds you to your word. So if you can't pay your vow, like things like this, then just... Confess it as sin. Say, Father, I, you know, I vowed too quickly. Forgive me. I can't do it. Whatever. Because he doesn't want you to con- condemn. Like I said, this is old covenant. And we know there's differences between this and the new. But I'm just saying, even today, we need to think about things. This is what he's saying. In verse 6, this cracks me up. Listen to verse 6. I used to love teaching on this. Put verse 6 up there. Do not allow your mouth to cause your body to sin. Hear that, Des? Hear that, Jeff? (laughs) Hear that, Kenny? Good boy, good boy. Don't let your mouth cause your body to sin. You know how far you could take that out if you wanted to get off on that topic? We got to help you with your mouth if you want to get your body under control. Do not allow your mouth to cause your body to sin. And do not say before the messenger. Now here it says the priest that it was an error or a mistake. Why should God be made angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Now, that's the verse that I was taught at great length, uh, myself and my whole class, by Dr. Bob Yandian, and where he took that out. And this is the verse. The word messenger is angel. And this is where it actually says in the Hebrew, it says, don't speak in error before your angels. And it actually says that you bind the hands of angels to not be able to produce for you when you consistently speak lightly in front of them. And you don't understand the necessity of having strong words. Verse 7, then he finishes, it says, For in a multitude of dreams there is futility and worthlessness and ruin in a flood of words. But, guys, reverently fear God, revere and worship him, knowing that he is. Amen? Ecclesiastes 12, the last chapter. You've all heard this before. I'm going to close with this because i got too much more to to go into that I'll have to wait till we come next week. I'm going to start in verse 6. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 6 in the Amplified Bible. Remember your Creator earnestly now. Now. Everybody say now. Before the silver cord of life is snapped apart. 
or the golden bow is broken, or the pitcher is broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the whole circulatory system of the blood ceases to function. In other words, remember your creator before you die. Verse 7, Then shall the dust out of which God made man's body return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. Vapor of vapors and futility of futility, says the preacher. All is futility, emptiness, falsity, vainglory, and transitoriousness. And furthermore, because the preacher was wise, he, Solomon, still taught the people knowledge. And he pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought acceptable words even to write down rightly words of truth or correct sentiment. The words of the wise are like prodding goats and firmly fixed in the mind like nails are the collected sayings which are given as proceeding from one shepherd but about going forth but excuse me but about going further than the words given by one shepherd my son be warned of making many books there is no end so do not believe everything you read and much study is in weariness of the flesh. But here's verse 13. We've all heard it, but this is one of my... When I first read this verse when I was young in the Lord, it just blew my mind. The Amplified. All has been heard, right? In other words, what's the end of the All has been heard. The end of the matter is this. Fear God. You hear me? The end of everything is fear God. Reverence and worship Him. Knowing that He is and keep His commandments. For this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of his creation, the object of God's providence. Listen, the root of character. Let's see, all of this is what is saying is the is is what it means to fear God. This is what begins to happen when you actually say, I'm going to make the decision today to have my ears more acutely tuned in. Where can I better reverence God today? And I'm going to ask some of you questions in a minute, just as I close now. Just I'm going to ask you that question. Where can I? Anyhow, but this is the whole commandment, for this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of his creation, the object of God's providence. It's the root of character. Guys, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of all happiness. Does anybody here want to be happy? I mean, it's a silly question. But see, how do you... It's like somebody telling you, you see, it's this thing about youth. Remember that youth have this sense of immortality, like you've heard it say, when somebody's like 25 years old and they're smoking and you're trying to tell them, you know, that smoking will take all kinds of years. You know, if you keep this up at the rate you're going, you'll actually take some 20 years off your life. And who cares? I don't know. Because you don't see yourself at 55. Do you? Now, being the man of years that I am today... Standing in front of you right now, hallelujah, glory be to God. <laughs> I can tell you, I had many people look me straight in the face all those years ago and tell me about drugs. Ah, it's no big deal. I mean, I'll use them for a while, whatever. Ah, whatever else it was, do this, do whatever it was. You know, just like you were told, don't look at me all holy. God spoke to every one of you about stuff. They put stuff, you know, if you keep drinking this stuff, one day, one day, don't you condemn me with that stuff. I don't want to hear that. But the fact is, one day comes. 
The fear of the Lord is the foundation of all happiness. It's, it's, it's the root of all character. That just used to blow my mind. Let me shut up. The root of character, the foundation of all happiness. And how about this statement? The adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun. Isn't that a great statement? <laughs> and the whole duty for every man. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Amen. Amen? Amen. I'm done. Everybody say praise God. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday.